Welcome to Fringe with Benefits podcast, episode 93, almost in the triple digits. Folks, back in the saddle again with your favorite wild story wrangling wild woman, Stacy. I realize I haven't been around for a while. I am a little disappointed in myself, but not enough to keep me down. So I'm back. My business has been lucrative. I must say I have had the best year end I have ever had in the last decade or more. And that feels really good. And it feels like I'm being rewarded for all my hard work, finally. Considering I am a total optimist to a foolish extent, I know deep in my soul that it is the only way to live as a true opportunist. When everyone freezes up in fear, that's when the true warriors move forward with fervor. Am I correct? I am working on some things behind closed doors and I'm a very private person as I move into a more mature age. I am going to keep you all posted as to my progress and or accomplishments, of course. I do have some things to discuss as we've moved into the new year, 2024, election year. Things get weird. It's a highly exciting time to be alive, too. So I come to you to scramble your brain on all things anomalous, peculiar, weird, and abnormal. All right, let's get started with Stacy Socials. This is my favorite segment, and I've actually just reduced the entire podcast to Stacy Socials because this is the whole reason why I started the podcast is to talk about stuff like this. First, we're going to talk about a New York Post article that came out in September. I think it's absolutely still relevant. It's always still relevant, and it's something that we need to get our numbers straight on and make sure that the data is correct, especially before reporting or reacting to it. Cleveland police said 27 kids have been reported missing between May 2nd and May 16th. So a two-week period, 27 kids went missing. Newburgh Heights Police Chief John Mahoy warns that the disappearances have reached unprecedented levels in 2023. And then again, more than 45 children have gone missing in the Cleveland-Akron area in September alone. 45 kids in September. That's more than one kid a day for the month of September. August, there were more than 35 missing minors. 35 is also more than the amount of days in August. The Ohio Attorney General's Missing Children website says those stats. But the police chief, John Mahoy, he is also the president of the Cleveland Family Center for Missing Children and Adults, told Newsweek that most children are found and returned to their families, and most some are manipulating statistics to grab public attention well that's definitely a thing that they do and that's something that we should definitely pay attention to but maybe not freak out but be very very concerned mahoy says that over 90 percent of children return to their families in a short space of time okay now if that is true then i want to know why they don't update their stats. If they're including missing kids from like the 1920s, shouldn't there be some sort of cleanup of data before you report statistics? And still, like, why are that many kids going missing? Okay, so they attribute it to potentially runaways or, you know, a gang affiliation. Teenagers run away, want to go hang out and be with their homies, stuff like that. Um, They should be taken off the registrar and not be reported if they are found to return home. Some of these kids are multiple runaways, and they say that they actually count each runaway as a separate, separate missing person incidents. If that's true, then why aren't we fixing that? They also say that there's an issue with human trafficking. Well, I think it really needs to be explored and investigated speak to the families, see what the circumstances are, maybe separate the ages of these kids out so we can see what age brackets are being taken, if they're being taken. And why do we have so many missing kids in our country alone? Like, we have a really big problem with this, peeps. The next crazy story I've been wanting to talk about is the Peruvian face peeling story. Okay, this is going to blow your freaking minds. So first, it was the story about the jetpacks, the miners with the jetpacks down in Peru, a village 
was saying that these um, illegal miners with jetpacks were in their village. And I talked about it on the podcast and they so got it wrong. And Timothy Alberino is the one that's coming out and saying how wrong that they got it. And he, him and another fellow went down on an ex- went down to Peru on an expedition to talk to the people to see what exactly is happening. So first I'm going to talk to you about this Daily Mail article. Terrified Peruvian villagers claim they are under attack from seven-foot-tall aliens dubbed face peelers as they plead with authorities to send backup. The Ikitu tribe claim they have suffered, suffered repeated attacks by aliens. They've called for assistance from the military and started conducting their own night patrols to protect the vulnerable villagers. Let's go through this real quick and then I'll tell you where you need to go after. The terrified villagers in a rural district, Peruvian district, have claimed they have come under attack by, we've already said this, blah, blah, blah. They have dubbed Los Pelacaras. I am horrible with Spanish, so that's that's ridiculous. I'm sorry, that's so gross. <laughs> Pelacaras. Okay, hopefully that's better. The Iquitu tribe are located in the San Antonio native community, and they've reported these mysterious figures with dark colored hoods attacking villagers. After one such attack, a 15-year-old girl had to be taken to the hospital. According to the community leader, Yaru, oh man, I can't do it, Yaru, Yaro. <laughs> this girl narrowly escaped, but as a result of the struggle, they cut part of her neck. According to local media, members of the community are conducting night patrols to protect their women and children and more vulnerable villagers. They've also called... Okay, we've said all that. Anyways, um, they're freaked out. They say they have these large heads, yellowish eyes, and this, they are immune to their hunting weapons because I'll tell you more about that. They claim that they have attacked them every night for nearly a month since July. Latina Noticias, a Peruvian news outlet, quoted Davia, which is the, the community leader. There we are. Said that um, they appeared to be armored. So these things are wearing some sort of armor or outfit. He said, I shot one of them twice and he wasn't injured. He rose and disappeared. We are very frightened about what's happening. They also said their shoes are round shaped, which they use to float. Their heads are long. They wear a mask and their eyes are yellowish. They are experts at escaping. And then there's some pictures in this article. Pelacaras is what they're calling them. And okay, so let's get rid of this article. So what's really interesting is this guy, Timothy Alberino. I guess he's some sort of writer. I've never heard of him before this. He does an hour, almost a two-hour-long documentary about him and his buddy going down there and talking to these people and seeing what's going on. And he reports that they have attacked and really, really seriously maimed or killed people in this village by peeling their face off, and that's why they're calling them the face peeler. So supposedly they grab you, they whip out some sort of technology, like a little laser, and they use it to get your face, right? So he goes out there and finds out that these things, their shoes are round, but they're actually a sort of technology that they clip into these hoverboards. So not only are they huge, they can get around by these hoverboards, but not just the hoverboards hover, these platforms on their shoes make them hover. Um, this girl that was attacked, they talked to her. She's visibly scarred from this. She was um, near her village and these things grabbed her. She said they put some sort of cream on her face, like to numb it or something, and whipped out this device to start cutting into her jawline. Uh, she screamed and was fought back, and people responded, and these things got away. Who knows? Um, when this Timothy Alberino fellow goes down there, he's investigating. He was hoping to experience the phenomenon. They did not, but I am linking below the YouTube documentary. It's full-length documentary on this strange phenomenon that's happening down there, like real-time in this community in Peru. 
So that's important, right? I would I would say that that's something <laughs> we all need to know about. Um, okay, so Timothy also says, this is his comment in the video, although I cannot say for certain who the face peeler perpetrators are in Peru, I can confirm unequivocally that the phenomenon is real and ongoing. My hypothesis is that they are nefarious humans with reverse engineered alien tech and possibly working with non-human faction. This is the after action report and analysis of Timothy Albarino's expedition. Um, okay. So, thinking about that, y'all heard about what happened in Miami, right? That's part of the reason I just decided to record on my day off. What the fuck was that about? Okay. Authorities in Miami responded to reports that an alien creature was captured on camera uh, during a riot at Bayside Marketplace. It was about 8.30 p.m. on New Year's Day. A group of teenagers started fighting and lighting off fireworks. That created massive panic and prompted an even larger police response. Over 60 police vehicles responded, shut down the area. Not, they shut down um, the air, too. Um, they arrested four teenagers who are facing charges of burglary, unoccupied conveyance, grand theft, battery, and resisting an officer without violence. So this is what the mainstream is reporting on this. Author authorities are still looking for other assailants. However, the incident went viral after several videos posted online appeared to show the silhouette of an alien creature. This, okay, you probably have seen it out there. It it looks like a big alien creature, no doubt. A pelicaras, but it also looks like three officers walking side by side. And that it's like a trick of, you know, where you're standing looking upon this and the lights. Who knows? Maybe it is a big alien, but when I was looking, it kind of looked like three officers ne walking next to each other. That does not disregard what people are saying who were there. And it also doesn't disregard why so many police responded. You'd think that it, you know, it, it wouldn't be to that level. And why did they shut down the airport and the airspace and turn off all kinds of electricity and all kinds of crazy shit? Okay, the electricity thing, remember that for later. Anyways, the narrative is the Miami Police Department was quick to shut down the rumors about an extraterrestrial visitor. A spokesperson said that it wasn't an alien. It was nothing more than a shadow of a person walking in front of police cars. Blah, blah, blah. And that's it on that article. There are several articles I have right here, but I'm going to just, I'm going to move on from that and just share with you what people are saying. So one guy in his TikTok said that him and his girl were out for the night together at the mall. They saw all these people running. They decided to see what was going on. They heard shots. They started running with the people. And he says that he turned around and he saw like a 10-foot shadow something chasing after him. And then, he, you know, the thing would disappear, disappear or dissolve and then reappear closer. And so he was freaked out about that. There's this other one, though, about this guy who said he's a graffiti artist. He was in town for a convention. He saw exactly what was going on. He was on the second level. He had a vantage point to these teenagers who were messing with what looked like a DVD player, like a rectangular box. They plugged it into the wall. This thing lit up. The lights started going crazy. And then this thing opened a portal in which this thing came out. A leg and an arm and something came out of there. Um, he said there was a guy next to him that was filming the whole thing, but he didn't have the footage and he people are saying that law enforcement and the powers that be are confiscating any footage of what occurred in there it would be nice if it was a bunch of teenagers that law enforcement would release some of that footage to just tell us look this was just a highly chaotic situation we didn't know what was going on that's why we had so many police respond um it seems like they're addressing the tall alien thing but how can we totally be sure the portal explanation makes a lot of sense. The shots, people were shooting. And it wasn't people like gang shooting. These were armed citizens that normally carry concealed when they're out. And something spooked them. I don't think that they would be 
shooting at some teenage vagrants, you know, trying to fuck around in the mall. I don't know. Check it out. Okay, next I want to talk about the South African ethnic cleansing topic. The mainstream narrative of that is that white genocide is a myth. That kill the boar is is a statement that's fair to make and it's not a terrorist threat or it's not an incite to violence. I I directly know people in South Africa that well I don't know them very well, but I have had counter or interactions with people there. And there was one guy that survived one of these attacked farms. It was his family. I think everybody Oh no, I think his family was out of town, but he was there for some reason and they came in and they beat him almost to death and he ended up having to walk to get medical aid. He, it's a it's a shock he survived survived it. So this is a serious issue. People cannot come in and brutally murder your family to take reparations from however many decades ago. If you want to reclaim land, you have to go through the legal channels, and violence is not that channel. Like, we are not those people anymore. <laughs> I think it's unacceptable. I don't want to hear about families brutally murdered. They generally, generationally probably got that land, and they're there because, you know, we're all here in our circumstance because of fate or whatever, or whatever reason... It puts us in our particular body, persona, identity, whatever. So it's not really necessarily their fault. Anyhow, I wanted to share this article because it goes into what they're doing to these people over there. South Africa's Department of Agriculture, Land Reform, and Rural Development issued a new notice this month restricting agricultural export permits to farms which have a minimum amount of black ownership and employment. Although whites comprise over 7% of Africa, South Africa's population, the African National Congress, ANC, government has passed laws to ensure black economic empowerment. That sounds really good, right? Because we want black economic empowerment, right? But not at the expenses of someone else. Um, this is in relation to particularly the agriculture industry. Agri-B is what it's called. Farmers with an annual revenue of 10 million rand, which is about 534,000 US dollars, or more who wish to export goods to the US or Europe must apply for a permit. That's cool, right? Permits, whatever. The application process requires farmers to fill out an AgriB scorecard in which they demonstrate whether they meet certain racial targets in ownership, management, and skill development. Each target is weight weighted with points and farmers who score high are eligible for their export permits. For example, an agricultural business whose board is at least 50% black receives two points. Another board is awarded 25% of the board if, if the board are black women. The company will receive two more points if blacks comprise 75% of middle management and another point if 38% are black females. So if they're black girls, then you get more because women... Oh, whatever. Anyways, the, the law sidelines indigenous white farmers called Afrikaners or Boers and Afrikaans who comprise most of the white South African population and have been a long-standing target of the ANC. In May, ANC officials proposed race-based water quotas as citizens face a dangerous shortage. Water Minister Senzo Machuno drafted a law to regulate the country's water, 60% of which is used for farming, based on skin color. Yep, that's right. According to the proposed law, businesses in agriculture, mining, and forestry who want to use more than 250,000 cubic meters of water must have at least 25% black ownership to qualify for water use license. Those who need more than... 500,000 cubic meters require at least 50%. So the more water you need, the more black ownership you need. Boers, who are the often destitute, are repeatedly attacked violently by black supremacist supporters of the ANC. 
Since taking power, the ANC advocated for blacks to own more land, which would bring more economic and political security. This idea took on a radical tone when Julius Malema, the founder of a militant ANC spinoff organization called Economic Freedom Fighters, began urging blacks to seize land from whites. According to a report by Afroforum published in March, there were 333 reported attacks on farms last year and 50 murders. The numbers are down from 2021, which saw about 415 and 55 murders. Only 33% of murder suspects have been arrested and convicted. Unfortunately, it's not clear whether the number of attacks actually decreased, seeing as more and more cases have never been never reported to police. I don't think the public's trust in the police has ever been as so low as it is now. Could you imagine people coming in and brutally murdering your family and you couldn't go to the police about it? I mean, think about that for a second. Not just murders, hundreds of thousands of destitute Boer African Conners, who live in large squatter camps, also face death from cholera and other diseases because of poor sanitation and water supply. So they're basically being genocided. Like, they ain't getting shit. Everything's taken from them. Now they gotta live in huts along the side of the road. Um... Aid workers have blamed the disease-related deaths on intentional neglect by local ANC councils. The ANC council and government policies of Blacks First will eventually be their ruin, especially if this case turns into an epidemic or a human rights disaster, Van Deventer said. Um, This is excerpts from the complete article that will be linked below. I just wanted to get the highlights. So this is a grim picture of life for them. Um, they say that the farm murders is carefully constructed by the ANC and some say intends to eliminate the whites from South Africa totally. In his memoirs, political veteran Mario Oriani Ambrosini recalls a conversation he once had with a South Africa president, Cyril Ramaphosa, in the 19, 1990s during a negotiation through, for new South African constitution. Quote, in his brutal honesty, Ramaphosa told me of the ANC's 25-year strategy to deal with the whites. It would be like boiling a frog alive, which is done by raising the temperature very slowly. Being cold-blooded, the frog does not notice the slow temperature increase, but if the temperature is raised suddenly, the frog will jump out of the water. He meant that the black majority would pass laws transferring wealth, land, and economic power from white to black slowly and incrementally until the whites lost all they had gained in South Africa, but without taking too much from them at any given time to cause them to rebel or fight. Um, Mainstream news outlets, like I said at the beginning, and journalists dismiss the possibility of this white genocide as far-right conspiracy theory and deny that rampant hate attacks on Afrikaner Afrikaner farms are a significant problem. I'm also going to link from the PulitzerCenter.org it is titled, and it's a very long article. I have not re- read the whole thing. It seems to be written as a personal experience where somebody goes down there and experience it, experiences it for themselves. It seems like it has multiple authors, but it is called The Myth of the White Genocide. Kind of scary, huh? I don't know if any of you guys have ever read the Turner Diaries. It's one of those banned books that it has been banned since... I don't know, the early 2000s. It's one of those that's on the list of the feds. Yeah. Better not have a copy of that book, but it's I've read it. It should be read. Okay. Um, Meryl Nass, I have shared her stuff. Dr. Mel- Meryl Nass, she, she um, sent in her email thing a chart of what we're facing because we're being attacked on so many fronts that it's almost hard to to list them all. And so she made a really cute little chart. Um, I want to quickly go over her history and what the mainstream says about her. So she's an um, internal medicine doctor. She is based in Ellsworth, Maine. She's been a vocal critic of the prevailing medical doctrine towards COVID-19 in Maine and nationally. She has questioned the safety of COVID-19 vaccines in interviews and on her blog. She's also admitted lying to a pharmacist so a patient could obtain the antiviral drug hydroxychloroquine, which 
they say was not authorized to treat COVID. <laughs> Screw them. January 2022, NAS medical license was suspended and ordered her to submit a neurophysiological evaluation by a board-selected psychologist after she made a number of, uh, air quotes, false COVID claims in a video interview and on her website. She filed a complaint with the U.S. District Court because of that, and that is basically the summary of when you Google her name, which is absolutely awful. What about her accomplishments? Like there's a reason she she got to where she did it seems like a lot of these dissenters are they're just being punished left and right i'm sure you're seeing it, it like if somebody talks shit about somebody because of what they said about something that they might d disagree with then you're basically attacking that person because they have a different point of view than you do like it's just wild it's wild to me okay um i guess the um Attempting to suppress her views. Oh, okay. So she, her complaint she filed with the district court with the District of Maine, accusing the medical board of violating her free speech rights by attempting to suppress her views on COVID and pursuing her under an unconstitutionally vague law. Good for her, because that is totally wrong to do to people. Okay, so the chart, I can't put it in the show notes, but I can tell you. It's titled, The New World Disorder, brought to you by a globalist cabal to confuse, uproot, and control the world. And then there's all these little boxes, okay? I'm going to tell you what's in these boxes. Gender confusion, transhumanism, brain chips, microbial surveillance, online surveillance, climate terrorizing. Yes, guys. Food system attacks. We've seen a lot of that. Poor food and water quality. Yes. Changed meanings of words. We saw that quite a bit. Government lawlessness. People being able to get away with shit that we couldn't get away with. Special treatment, right? Inflation. Crashing economy. 15-minute cities, which is basically caged areas in your city where you're not allowed to go out. But the fancy people can go out. Digital IDs. Vaccine passports. Location tracking. Militarized police. Unchecked immigration. CBDCs all spending tracked. That's a, I think that's the bank. Credit Bureau. I don't know. CBDCs. Spent all of our monies being tracked. Political and pronoun correctness. U.S. government and media censorship. Dangerous medical products. Restricting medical treatments. Propaganda having only one narrative. Electronic voting that is hackable and easily manipulated. Negative interest rates. Reduced access to energy. Dumbed down education. Securities not being secure. Unfair court system, corrupt district courts, like these smaller courts that are run by these scumbag, child molesting freaking weirdos that do weird shit. Biological warfare, side effects, liability shields, global biosecurity agenda, end of doctor-patient relationship, end of for informed consent. Ugh, that was a lot. So yeah. <laughs> a lot of things are happening. Ah, <laughs> uh, shit. And it's, it, it's a wonder not everybody's like, can we fix this? Let's do something to fucking stop this shit. Remember that shooter, the transgender shooter that shot up that little Christian school, little private school? I never got to touch on this. This is kind of in my little content archive. So I, I want to touch on this and share what this article says about that kid that did this and what their intentions were and what she was brainwashed into thinking. Okay. Massacred, massacred three children and three adults at a Nashville elementary school in March. She was driven by violent hatred for white people, according to leaked documents. How'd they get linked? Who knows? Thank God stuff gets leaked. Political commentator Stephen Crowder Monday published three-page manifesto of Audrey Hale, the woman who gunned down school children and staffers at the Covenant School on March 27th. 
Hale at one point claimed to be attracted to their other women and later claimed to be a man and was lionized after she was killed in a shootout with police. On the day of the massacre, Hale called Death Day in her manifesto. The killer wrote how excited she was about her plan to kill the children and expressed relief that she had not been discovered by authorities. Hale detailed her schedule for the day, beginning with eating breakfast at 6.30 a.m., getting dressed, and packing her rifle, two guns, magazines, and bulletproof vest. You know, as far as, like, a schedule, what's good? She got up early. She ate breakfast at 6.30. She got dressed. She should have just went, she went to school or done some community service afterwards instead of packing her rifle, her guns, her magazines, her bulletproof vest to go kill innocent people. Around lunchtime at school, around 11 to 1, Hale planned to open fire by 12.35, in which it would be time to die. To die. On one page of the manifesto, dated February 3rd, and titled, Kill Those Kids, Hale referred to the school children as those crackers going to fancy private schools with those fancy khakis and sports backpacks with their daddy's Mustangs and convertibles. Jealous much? You know, why? Why? And then she says in her manifesto, Fuck you little shits. I want to kill all you little crackers. Bunch of little faggots with your white privilege. Fuck you faggots. I guess I can't put this on YouTube. I was thinking, because I'm actually recording my face. Sorry about how I look. <laughs> I just got done with the gym. Hair's all slicked back. Not looking super sultry <laughs> but whatever this is i can't you know i was gonna put it up I'm, i'll probably upload it to rumble and bit shoot only because youtube i mean i'll never make money on youtube ever so who cares um well unless things change for the better so following the shooting metro nashville police promised to release the manifesto to the public but then suddenly and inexplicably reversed their decision now, the gender totalitarians mourned Hale after she was killed while slaughtering children. A group calling itself Trans Resistance Network said hate has consequences, explaining that the massacre was a consequence of anti-trans hate. So those people, victim-blaming, they deserved it because they might have been transphobic, maybe. Andy No notes that hours later, demonstrators occupied the Capitol in Nashville to protest legislation banning of the general genital mutilation of children they held a moment of silence for the covenant school shooting and held up seven fingers counting hail among the victims three days after the shooting the white house proclaimed march 31st three days after the shooting they proclaimed transgender day of visibility and urged americans to work towards eliminating violence and discrimination against all transgender non-form well we should we should never have violence towards those people um Analysts say Hale was inspired by two years of anti-white rhetoric from the White House. Joe Biden has consistently declared white supremacy as the greatest threat to America, despite even FBI agents reporting they have a hard time finding evidence of such sentiments. People think that we have a huge racism issue. We don't. We don't. Anybody who's truly seen real racism, the world as it is today is not. If anything, it's gone completely like far out of into left field to hate on Whitey, to kill Whitey. I mean, uh, <laughs> holy shit is that's that's right. Um, okay, I to something a little bit more serious here, and we're gonna go a little bit more serious. Uh, Code Monkey, if. If any of you followed the Q stuff or any, you know, weird, um, fringy stuff, you'd know Code Monkey. He is part of um, 4chan, I think. Yeah, that's his history, I believe. So he has a blog. It's called, and he's he was writing an article called Unseen War. Oh, no, his, his site is called Unseen War. And he writes this really beautifully written article on the art of psychological operations, psyops, and how they govern the narrative and how they do this. So I'm going to read directly excerpts from his article. He says, psyops set the stage for communications to manipulate perceptions, seeking a way to sway public opinion through meticulously structured messaging. 
This game of mental chess hinges on bias, framing, and influence, posing individuals as unwitting participants in a grander scheme of narratives. Within the dark world of psychological manipulations, framing takes a vital role. Much like a stage director positioning his actors, framing defines and progressively fills the big picture. Prudently planned psyops often shape the way we perceive stories by nudging us towards a specific path. The art of manipulation is layered and comes in several facets. Words, images, symbols, even the potent, potent hush of silence. Each pixel of this carefully designed scene is weighted for its emotional impact and its potential to provoke thoughts and reactions. Every piece of the narrative is intentionally embedded to serve a grander purpose of influence and persuasion. Biases are often designed to mirror the perceived prejudices of the audience rather than the manipulator. Unveiling the true essence behind how psyops are framed is a process of unraveling the intricate layers beneath each narrative and exposing the subtle biases that these manipulations thrive upon. These biases help the psyop take a more potent position, growing within the target audience and making them inclined to trust the artificially drafted narrative. It is important to delve deep, as biases are often designed to mirror the perceived prejudice of the audience. Rather, Oh, we already got all that. Recognizing bias requires meticulously analyzing clues, diligent focus, and a continual questioning of official narratives. The power of psyops is inescapable, and the framing techniques employed are diverse. They are the invisible hands that shape our reality and guide all manners of target audiences towards manipulated journeys. Framing techniques work on impressionable minds by inducing emotions and influencing actions that are occasionally capable of altering the course of world events. The winning narrative isn't always the truthful one, but the one that resonates the most irrespective of its factual grounds. From political propaganda to corporate advertising, psyops are a multifaceted mechanism integral to many different sectors. PSYOP framing is comparable to Hemingway's iceberg theory, where a significant portion of this information stays concealed beneath the surface narrative. It is an orchestrated reality that maps out strategic moves and counter moves, pushing target audiences to comply with a certain agenda. Modern PSYOPs have the power to induce fear, acceptance, unity, or hatred, and can shape public opinion. It can make them behave in a certain way too. Unraveling PSYOP framing techniques is akin to decoding the rules of a mind game played on a colossal chessboard. In the end, we are the captains of our thoughts. The wind only suggests a direction and it does not ordain it. So prevalent are PSYOPs that knowing its mechanisms is an imperative and inoculation against malignant influence. As we understand more, we strengthen our cognitive ship against insidious tides and sail closer to the truth, unperturbed by the masquerades of narrative seas. And we are all navigating those narrative seas. Let's go ahead and finish this up with, this is pretty interesting, and I've held on to this document for a while because I wasn't sure and I wanted to check on the source and it's just something that was out there that I that I happened to find and I thought it was pretty fascinating. So this is kind of an excerpt of where it kind of came from. It's from Operation Disclosure by Mark Bowman. He's the contributing writer for this. This was submitted on September 9th, 2021. Please note this is the second Declaration of Independence. This was a document done in 2018, and it was signed by President Trump. This was completed in secret by 10 people who emailed the parchment paper pictures of the whole document to Gene Decode, if you know who that is, and then he emailed me late in January 2021. I then transcribed the complete document into a Word document so everyone could easily read it. I did post this on Operation Disclosure. This was my great honor and privilege to transcribe this document for all to read. Understand this document is needed at this time of great transition to simply let the citizens of the new republic know what happened and the different tools the deep state did to keep illegal control of this wonderful country. Yes, this document is really, really needed, just as much as the first Declaration of Independence, which uh, my note is was first signed July 2nd of 1776, approved by Congress on the 4th of July our favorite holiday. 
And because we were in a secret war of information and infiltration, this document is extremely needed to legally declare independence again and to inform the people what has happened to their beautiful country. This is needed for so many reasons, especially to overcome the CIA Operation Mockingbird, to control all the media in the world from the 1950s. For these people who wrote it, we're committing treason against the U.S. corporation. The law since our original U.S. Republic Constitution was usurped in 1871 by the Illuminati. Understand, Gene D. Code and I was involved in release of the Second Declaration and stand by it. Naturally, like the original Declaration of Independence was finally released to the whole world, this spinoff is the same thing. Man of God. Neither document has the United States in all caps, therefore it is not a U.S. corporation document. I speak for myself and what Gene D. Code stated on his live call and video, recorded video this week that this is the signed document of President Trump. From my understanding and released by the people inside the New Republic, it was declared July 4th, 2020, and the U.S. Corporation is bank bankrupt. I have seen this document filed in the state of Florida and of the U.S. Corporation and no longer exists. Therefore, as the second declaration was done behind the scenes, as was the documents for the New Republic had to be done out of the public eye. Only in the near future will we learn the absolute truth. Everyone should respect other people's opinion and respect great sources of true information to help inform the people to the truth. I have great respect for Gene Decode's intelligence and his sources. We all need to honor him to help such a dark time in our country's history to see the light, for we the people have a great victory to the light. Transcribed by Mark Bowman, February 10th, 2020, from Parchment Paper, Pictures from Original. In great honor of the patriots that wrote it and President Trump who signed this wonderful document, the exact words. Now we'll see the document. Okay. Here we go. Trusting our cause is just and having prayed for the fortitude of brave spiritual wickedness in high places, we citizens of America make this announcement to the shareholders of the U.S. Corp including the City of London, the British Crown, and the Vatican, and their operatives in the Medica, Government, and Society. The Second Declaration of Independence by the 50 United States of America. With the utmost respect and admiration for the founders of America and the framers of the original Declaration of Independence, the American people humbly emulate their thoughtful measured response to certain perpetual and ascending tyranny and despotism despotism we too believe that it is a moral obligation of those privileged with knowledge and opportunity to work on behalf of the people and that the people are best served best when their benefactors choose unity over division nationalism over globalism sovereignty over submission and liberty over oppression that all human beings are equal in their innate value that america was founded under god and that our God-given rights may not be revoked, suspended, negated, or abridged without due process. What distinguishes the Second Declaration of Independence from its progenitor is the object from which we seek independence. Regrettably, to our great misfortune, shame and dismay, and despite the recurrent warnings and accorded safeguards, a cable of foreign investors and privateers have managed to gain possession of our land, our wealth, our labor, our well-being, our future, and even our children. Although history has become muddied with varied interpretation of cardinal events, including the surreptitious adoption of a second corporate constitution, an uncertain ratification of several amendments destructive to the people. It matters only that on or more alien groups lay claim to America and its assets. Rather than speculate on motives and weigh unprofitably to biased accounts, unverifiable information, and plenteous theories and opinions, we engage a perfect solution wherein we exact independence from all claimants past and present proclaimed, identified, or veiled. As such, the usurpers named in this declaration are representative and not specific or exhaustive, regardless of supposed ancestry, precedent, instrument, or process. Although simply enumerating transgressions and usurpations would suffice to justify insularity, recounting insignificant events revealed important facts that are missing from history. These forgotten facts add insight, perspective, and clarity, illuminating our best way forward. Number one, 
The inevitable civil war destroyed America's economy, ripped families apart, and cast a questionable shadow on the future of a once-promising nation. America was in trouble financially and needed a massive infusion of capital to get it back on its feet. Two, a cabal of nation-building venture capitals from Europe agreed to finance America's recovery, but demanded an active role in government to ensure their investment. In 1871, mired in debt, Congress worked out a partnership. In exchange for boundless financial support, the foreign investors handle America's administrative needs. Three, although initially it seemed to be an innocuous concession, the consequences of allowing the nation-building venture capitalists to conduct America's business beyond the protections of the U.S. Constitution proved to be proved catastrophic. The investors quickly embedded operations throughout the foreign-owned corporate government, and Washington, D.C. began serving the interests of America's financiers over the people. In 1871, America effectively lost its independence, and the nation-building venture capitalists became our new masters. Four, by the early 1900s, the foreign investors that bankrolled America controlled the major newspapers and news services, enabling them to shape what is reported and how it is to be framed. They had to cover their tracks before being exposed and repudiated by the people. Number five, the nation's building venture capitalists worked to soften America's imperturbable elevated system of government. The founders had formed a constitutional republic instead of a democracy specifically to prevent citizens in the majority from oppressing those in the minority. By doing what is best for their district or state, rather than enforce the majority will, representatives serve all citizens equally, eliminating the noise, division, and violent intrinsic to democracies. Being in control of the narrative, the foreign investors in genius promoted the fallacy that America is a democracy trusting in the deception would lead to unrest and chaos that would make America vulnerable, creating additional opportunities for infiltration and manipulation. Six. In 1913, the foreign investors established the Anti-Defamation League to slander anyone who exposed them and their infiltration into American politics. 7. In 1913, by way of the 16th Amendment and foreign investors were granted the authority to tax the American people directly, something expressly prohibited by the original Constitution, that we the people would willingly subject themselves to forced confiscation of their property, their labor, is illogical, putting the legitimacy of ratification in question. 8. In 1913, by way of the 17th Amendment, the foreign investors breached an important safeguard that protected our constitutional republic from infiltration of enemy forces. Previously, senators were statesmen appointed by the respective state legislatures as a check on the House of Representatives, raiding the public treasury. Henceforth, Senators would run as glorified House representatives reduced to promising free public money and services for votes. The authenticity of ratification is unlikely because the state legislatures would not willingly surrender their authority. To bridle the appetite of the People's House, not would they accede to transfer more power to the federal government, opening yet another door for the international bankers to buy the influence they need to further their grip on America. 9. In 1913, the foreign investors gained control of our currency by pushing through Congress the Federal Reserve Act, establishing a foreign-owned central banking system despite the dire warnings of Presidents Thomas Jefferson, Andrew Jackson, Jackson, Abraham Lincoln, Andrew Johnson, James Garfield, and William McKinley. The Federal Reserve Act passed with the help of compromised legislatures between 1.30 a.m. and 4.30 a.m. on December 22nd, when most members were away on their Christmas holiday. 10. In 1920, Congress, by the way of the Independent Treasury Act, turned over the U.S. Treasury Department and its assets, our gold and silver, to the Federal Reserve, the central banking system owned by the foreign investors established in 1913. 11. In 1921, the Council on Foreign Relations was formed under the advancing America interests in the world. In fact, the CFR is responsored by the City of London and serves to advance the interest of foreign-owned Federal Reserve by direction of the President, Congress, and the narrative through operatives in their news and information networks. 12. In 1925, the owners of the Federal Reserve formed the United States Corporation. Just five out of the ten shares issued were identified with the balance of the shareholders in the U.S. Corp. remaining anonymous. Yet the money hell leads 
to the City of London, the British Crown, and the Vatican. The tax dollars we send to the Internal Revenue Service go to the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank, which are under their control. 13. The official formation of the U.S. Corp set the stage, stage for the transformation of America from a constitutional republic of the people to a corporation owned by foreign interests and their families. Over the next few years, the individual states were registered as corporations as well, making them franchises of U.S. Corp. Representatives and senators neither represent nor work for the American people. Rather, they are managers of the U.S. Corp., and as such, they are obligated to first serve its best interests. The president is just the president of America. He is the CEO of the U.S. Corp. 14. The abbreviated term United States was purposely used to represent both America and U.S. Corp. to blur the distinction between them. Similarly, the U.S. Constitution was quietly, sub quietly supplanted by an imposter corporate all-cap letters constitution. That bears a similar name and appearance again to confuse and deceive the American people. Specifically, the Constitution for the United States of America was replaced by the Constitution of the United States with the latter's corporate status becoming the supreme law of America. So the way that this is written, it says that initially the Constitution for the United States was lower, lower case except for the first letter of Constitution and the first letter of America. Now they're all caps. So that's what they mean by making it a corporate name. 15. In 1933, the U.S. federal government declared bankruptcy and President Roosevelt, acting CEO, signed over U.S. Bank Corp., America and its assets, including the people and our labor. The bankruptcy of 1933 that was arguably unnecessary, ceremonial in nature, and contrived and orchestrated without the consent of the people, completed the heist and transfer of America and its assets to the same foreign interests who owns U.S. Corp. 16. In the bankruptcy of 1933, U.S. Corp. forced the American people to surrender their gold and trade for de debt not notes called dollars, fiat currency that has not real value and that is depreciated continuously through inflation where it is worth four cents today. 17. The bankruptcy of 1933 put U.S. Corp. in a state of an emergency, allowing it to implement admiralty law made evident by the gold fringe around the American flag. When in a U.S. Corp. courtroom, you are considered at sea and not a citizen of America. 18. In 1936, U.S. Corp. began issuing Social Security numbers to turn otherwise sovereign Americans into trustees of corporate fictions, making our labor taxable, which would otherwise be unconstitutional. According to U.S. Corp., you are not a man or a woman, but rather a representation of a corporation in your name. 19. In 1945, the anonymous owners of U.S. Corp. founded the United Nations under a guise of spreading peace, civility, and humanitarian assistance throughout the world. Yet the true purpose is to condition citizens to recognize an international authority, a first step in establish their promised new world order in which the U.S. Constitution is retired to make room for a universal totalitarian government. 20. United Nations Publications Agenda 21 and Agenda 30 reveal the new world order agenda, calling for the end of nationalism, patriotism, private property, individual rights, the two-parent family, automobiles, air travel, and the right to defend ourselves from a tyrannical government. In keeping with their goal of sustainable development, they plan to reduce the population by over 90%, ridding America and the world of dissidents and useless eaters. The remaining useful servants are to live in coastal communities wherein they will be stacked and packed in micro-apartments. 21. The only thing standing in the way of their new world order is a strong, prosperous, and secure America. To achieve their goal of world domination, America must lose its sovereignty and leadership position, and thus why the owners of the U.S. Corp. quietly work to undermine our culture, systems, beliefs, standards, aspiration, and morals for over a hundred years, employing unrestrained methods and tactics. 22. With millions of dollars at their disposal every year from taxing our labor, the owners of U.S. Corp. fund leftist nonprofit groups, including the Council on Foreign Relations that work to subvert our nation and silence anyone in opposition. They ingratiate the officials and administrators who run the largest charities and organizations, including the AMA, the APA, and the CDC, the FCC, the SEC, and the FDA. 
The embed operatives in the State Department, the Department of Justice, and the intelligence agencies, official and covert, including the NSA, FBI, and the CIA. 23. In trade for generous grants and endowments, the anonymous owners of U.S. Corp. Sh shaped the curriculum, the political sentiments of the public schools, the colleges, the universities, ensuring the next generations our children harbor disdain for their country, their history, their culture, their families, and even their ethnicity. 24. The anonymous owners of U.S. Corp. keep the people in the dark about the true history of America, the greatest heist and cover-up in history by controlling public education, major publishers, news services, airwaves, and the social and information networks. 25. The foreign owners of U.S. Corp. prop up puppets throughout society and government, allowing them to make millions of dollars in trade for perpetuating their agenda of secrecy and subjugation of America. These traders include prominent politicians, news readers, pundits, authors, movie stars, and the heads of the social, news and information networks, major sports teams, music and entertainment industries, and corporate conglomerates responsible for over 90% of the products designed, manufactured, advertised, purchased, financed, and consumed. 26. By the way of funding campaigns and fixing elections, the owners of U.S. Corp. Obl obligate the most influential politicians to further their agenda of breaking America socially and financially. They promote disdain for the country, dependency on government, indulgence, lawlessness, and immorality to spoil and dishearten citizens, predisposing them to trade their sovereignty for the false promises of an international unelected government sponsored by the world elite. 27. By the way of the Democrat Party, the operatives posing as television hosts, entertainers, journalists, pundits, and policy experts, the owners of U.S. Corp. brainwash and condition the people to accept invalid arguments and pseudoscience that call for globalism, socialism, and a godless society in which technology is our moral compass. 28. The operatives of the foreign-owned U.S. Corp. are deeply rooted throughout the news and information networks, academia, government, and society. Colloquially, referred to as the deep state, the shadow government, the swamp. The operatives perform with a hive mind because they are guilty of treason, a crime punishable by death. They are desperate to hide their complicity and thus they systematically target, demonize, and even suicide all those who threaten to expose their treachery and malfeasance. 29. The operatives of the U.S. Corp. favor unbridled immigration because it is the most expedient way to destroy the country from within. Flooding America with illegal immigrants without allowing them time to assimilate encourage arrogance, separation, and anti-Americanism, and anger, animosity, and conflict with the people. By design, we can also expect a set steady dilution of principles, ethics, and systems that make America successful. Moreover, the majority of illegal immigrants are ethics- and systems that made America successful. Moreover, the majority of Ill illegal immigrants are likely to vote for Democrats who legislate according to the will of foreign owners of the U.S. Corp. 30. Because the free, open, largely unchained internet reveals the hidden heist of America and the criminal network that operates in the shadows, the owners of the U.S. Corp., the predators of crimes against America and humanity, are tightly concerned about exposure. To ensure the people do not wake up, organize, and enact justice, they censor the information we see, ply us with psychoactive drugs, make us complacent with money from government, distract us with sympaternal video games, promote us with meaningless sporting events after another. 31. In conjunction with skewed statistics, deceptive polls, false facts, and the omission of decisive information, the owners of U.S. Corp. promote anti-Americanism, and their New World Order agenda. Fake news keeps the people disoriented, misinformed, and divided over ethnicity, gender, sexual orient orientation, religion, and economic class. Meanwhile, their debt system enslaves us. Their grip ever lightens through surveillance and fluorination, vaccinations, and other technologies are deployed to weaken any substantive opposition. For 32. The owners of U.S. Corp. are working incessantly to disarm the millions of law-abiding patriots who stand in the way of their totalitarianism, oppressive New World Order. By way of orchestrating mass shootings, the owners of the U.S. Corp. will continue to terrorize the people until we assent to comprehensive background checks. The word comprehensive is nebulous and undefined, allowing for battery of psychological and medical testing ever-expanding until 
large-old individuals are deemed emotionally unstable and a danger to society. True to the predictions of every futuristic book and movie, patriotic Americans will be disarmed by the way of political profiling under the guise of screening for mental health. 33. Through their vast indoctrination machine, the foreign owners of U.S. Corp. have convinced the people that America is a democracy and that democracy is the highest form of government. This is problematic because democracy is, by definition, mob rule. Democracies invariably fail because the majority mob always demands more and more public monies and services procured through excessive taxation and other socialist-like policies, resulting in economic ruin, runaway debt, fiscal collapse, and ultimately, social implosion, opening the door for the promised, predicted, dreadful, and ever-looming New World Order. Because sovereignty is not sustainable without exploring the ills of democracy and reestablishing our elevated constitutional republic, we are compelled to make the following proclamations. A. The world democracy does not appear anywhere in the America's founding documents because the framers knew that democracy in any form or disguise is fatally flawed, leading invariably to oppression, unrest, societal failure, violence, and death. B. All forms of government are elected democratically. They differentiated only by who makes those decisions after elections are over. C. In a democracy, citizens in the majority make the sales, leaving those in the minority oppressed. Consequently, a democracy is always noisy, divisive, divided, insufficient, unsteady, combustible, fiscally irresponsible, and short-lived. D. America was established as a constitutional republic. Most elected do not do the bidding of the citizen majority. Rather, they most do what is best for their district or state, despite of the majority will. In this way, all citizens are represented equally, and no one is suppressed, making a constitutional republic quiet, steady, efficient, and preferred. E. Although the word democracy feels good, it is founded on mob rule, making it akin to socialism, communism, and every other tyrannical form of government. F. Finally, Article QV, Section 4 of the U.S. Constitution, resolves any doubt the United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a Republican form of government. Having exposed the greatest heist and cover-up in history, we are able to summarize, America and its assets were quietly hijacked and the cover-up has resulted in unthinkable crimes against the people and humanity. Allowing the hostile takeover to stand will lead eventually to complete and irreversible subjugation and eradication of truth, justice, and all that is good. This second Declaration of Independence distinguishes the United States of America from the subversive United States Corporation. It asserts that the U.S. Corp. was formed illegally, that it is foreign-owned, and that its shareholders have been quietly at war with America for over 150 years. Treasonous operatives embedded within government and the fake news networks purposely divide the citizenry and facilitate conflict among the nations to hide that U.S. Corp. was formed illegally, that it's foreign-owned, and that its shareholders... Treasonous operatives embedded within government and fake news networks purposely divide the citizenry, facilitate Congress among the natives to hide that U.S. Corp. is and always has been the only real enemy of America. The Second Declaration of Independence also repudiates with conviction the U.S. Corp.'s satanically inspired plan for world governance. In addition to being of, by, and for the elite and not for the people, Their falsely advertised pseudo-utopian, unelected, totalitarian New World Order would supplant America's sovereignty and extinguish forever any semblance of liberty and prosperity. Because natural inclinations predispose human beings to be short-sighted, malleable, and easily bamboozled, one might presume the American people should bear responsibility for being swindled out of their homeland, inherited from their forefathers who procured and secured it at great expense and much sacrifice. For slowly but steadily trading their largely unappreciated blessings of liberty, opportunity, and prosperity for trinkets in the form of unearned comforts, frivolous indulgences, and gluttonous pleasures. However, the transfer of ownership from the American people was not conducted openly and with candor, but clandestinely, through calculated design and nefarious means without body consent and unconstitutionally. It is for the latter reason that American people claim their right to its rectification. That the greatest heist in history was effected outside the constraints of the U.S. Constitution and that those who were elected to represent America's best interests transgressed their fiduciary responsibility and exceeded their authority warrants this proclamation that the American people are rightful owners of our land, our labor, our well-being, our future, and our children for our benefit and the benefit of our prosperity. 
as with any negotiated peace after years of atrocities committed by parties at war, we seek neither vengeance nor demand justice for past transgression. The simply adjure to the return of what rightly belongs to the people and avow firmly, emphatically, publicly, and officially that America shall forever remain sovereign nation, free, self-directed, and not affiliated or dependent upon any version or variation of the present planned or innovated new world order. We entreat a bloodless solution wherein you cease all destruction activities, including false flag events, dissolve U.S. Corp. and other illicit, illicit illegal structures and coast custodial instruments return our land and assets including our gold and silver redirect the tax collected on our labor back to america and have your deep state and shadow government operatives retire withdrawing your influence in an orderly fashion so society continues to thrive in trade for you keeping your wealth your position and your heads in response to questions regarding legitimacy, efficacy, and process, throwing off the shackles of national thaldrum is elementary and unambiguous, as evidenced by the separation of the 13 colonies from Britain in 1776 and the Mexican people from Spain in 1825. A formal declaration, hailed by authorized representations, procures independence that is immediate, whole, consummate, intangible, infrangible, and unencumbered by obligation, condition, or imposition. As we enter grievous territory, we reflect on the precarious road our forefathers forged when they judiciously severed the political and familial ties that bound them. Our hearts are filled with melancholy and trepidation, yet we too are resolute in our posture and positions from being confronted with no better option. Despite the manifest peril, the consequences and acquiescence acquiescence are graver still compelling us to claim solemnly our independence one again once again so in support of this declaration with its firm reliance on the protection of divine providence we mutually pledge to each other our lives our fortunes and our sacred honor and then the 56 signatories or task force are to be affixed at the time of presentation to congress the president 50 state legislators and the governors of respective states i have no idea if any of this happened or if it really happened, but beautiful. Our Stoic of the Week, Epictetus. People are not disturbed by things themselves, but by the views they take of those things. People who are ignorant of philosophy blame others for their misfortunes. Those who are beginning to learn philosophy blame themselves. Those who have mastered philosophy blame no one. Epictetus. Don't explain your philosophy, embody it. Marcus Aurelius. Look well into thyself, there is a source of strength which will always spring up if thou wilt always look. Have a great week. Thanks for suiting up and showing up.